Welcome to Abergavenny Baptist Church, building faith and friendship. Luke chapter 16 and verses 19 to 31. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. We continue our series entitled The Parables Jesus Told, where we're looking at those parables, those pointed stories, those stories that make a point within Luke's gospel. And today we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 16 and verses 19 to 31, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Just by way of introduction, a few comments in case you weren't here last week, that Jesus is using the setting of the afterlife for this parable. Now the Bible teaches that when you die, you will be judged according to what you've done. And, and none of us are perfect. We all make mistakes. We all get things wrong. But if you put your faith in Jesus, and if you follow Jesus as best you can and by the help of God, then we will experience forgiveness. We will experience eternal life. And we will rise to a new life in a new and restored creation. However, if you do not put your faith in Jesus, if you do not trust Jesus, then you'll be judged according to what you've done. And God's judgment will be fair. It will be just. Now the Bible uses many metaphors, a whole lot of various imagery, uh, such as fire and agony and so on, to symbolize this judgment, this judgment of God. And... Um, we shouldn't take them literally. They're they metaphors. So we shouldn't push the details in this parable too much. So for example, uh, you know, when, when Abraham is in paradise and he's having a conversation with the rich man in the not-so-nice part of uh, Hades, the realm of the dead, we shouldn't take that literally. We were not one day going to be able to have a conversation with people in the not-so-nice part of Hades. It, it, it's a metaphor. All these metaphors that the Bible uses are pointing to temporary time of suffering before simply ceasing to exist forever. So when a non-Christian dies, 
they will suddenly come to the realization that there is a God who loves them and wants a relationship with them, but they have selfishly and self-centeredly turned their backs on God. They have chosen to have nothing to do with God. They have chosen to live apart with God. And so finally God gives them what they want. Your will be done. And that realization will fill them with fear and anguish. And when all the, the selfish things and the unkind things that they've done in life is exposed, it will suddenly fill them with a consuming guilt and shame and remorse. And then they will simply cease to exist forever, never to return. Now, if you want to know more about that, we, we talked about that last week. Do listen to the sermon from last week. You can pick it up on the, the podcast or the website or the Facebook page. Uh, but today... Today we're going to be focusing on the parable itself. And whenever we come to a parable, we should always be asking ourselves, who, who is Jesus talking to? Who is Jesus talking to? Who is Jesus telling this parable to? And we discover the answer in, in Luke chapter 16 and verses 13 through to 15. Jesus is giving a teaching about money. And he says in verse 13, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, money isn't the problem. Money isn't the issue. Having money isn't the issue. The, the issue is, who do you serve? Who do, do you worship? Who is the God in your life? Do you serve money? In other words, do you find your identity and your self-worth in your wealth and in your money? Does your self-worth equal your net worth? Are you serving money? In other words, if you've got a lot of money, uh, you feel really good about yourself. If you haven't got a lot of money, you feel really bad about yourself. You have a low self-worth. Who are you living for? And it doesn't have to be money. I mean, you could substitute money for career, for being the best parent, for being very successful in your, in your hobbies, in your sports, in your music. Uh, it, it can be anything that you find your identity in other than in God. And Jesus says you can't worship money and worship God at the same time. You just can't. You, you, you can't do it. You'll end up hating the one and despising the one. Because there will be a conflict of loyalties at some point. If you're devoted to money, then you need to hoard a lot of money. You need to have a lot of money. You need to be spending all your money on, on self-indulgence and self-pleasure. But if you worship God, then you need to be generous with your money. And you need to use your money to advance God's kingdom and help the poor. And you can't do both. You have to make a choice. So who do you serve? Then we read in verse 14, The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. Now the Pharisees were, were a very strict religious group. They were known to be an extremely pious and devout devout. They would obey every single law in the Bible to the nth degree. 
And so outwardly they had the appearance of being so devoted to God, so good, but in their hearts they actually loved money. And so Jesus' teaching has hit a sensitive nerve. And they sneer at him. Now the Greek literally means they turn their noses up at him. And so Jesus says to them in verse 15, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. So in other words, these Pharisees were putting on a wonderful outward appearance of being totally devoted to God in order to get the applause and the appraisal of other people. Yet God knows their heart. That they actually are, are more concerned about and love money and the praise of people more than they love God. And that's detestable to God. Now, of course, the, the Pharisees honestly think that they are totally devoted to God. But in reality, they love money and the praise of people more than God. They're self-deceived. The sure fact that they are, are, are sneering at Jesus, turning their noses up at Jesus, reveals what's really in their heart, that they love money and the praise of people more than they love God. You see, no one, no one says, I'm totally devoted to money. I just love money. No one says that. Everyone says, I'm devoted to God. So how do we know what's really going on in our heart? Well, Jesus tells this parable to help these Pharisees and to help us discover what's really in our heart. And so he says in uh, verse 19, he says, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every, year, every day. He was a rich man. He was dressed in purple. Now, purple was an extremely, extremely rare dye. And as a result, it became extremely expensive. And therefore, it became the color of royalty. This guy was living like a king. He had purple robes and fine linen, and he had a big, massive feast every single day. Most people would be extremely lucky if they could have one feast, one big meal with meat once a week. That would be extremely fortunate. This guy had a big feast every single day. A life of extravagant self I've just lost the word. Um, self-indulgence. Extravagant self-indulgence. In total contrast, verses 20 to 21 says, At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. In complete contrast, Lazarus is completely 
helpless. He is impoverished. He has nothing. His only hope of making money is by begging. He's not, he's not covered in fine linen. No, he's covered in sores. And he's a crippled. He's totally dependent on being laid at the rich man's gate. His only longing is to eat the scrap of food that falls from the rich man's table and it will be swept out with the rubbish. But the wild street dogs eat that. And he's even so helpless that he can't even chase the dogs away to stop them from licking his sores. Completely helpless. But he has a name. He is, he's the only character in all of Jesus' parables that gets a name. Everyone else is the rich man, the manager, the father, the son. But he gets a name, a proper name. That's significant. So what is this helpless beggar's name mean? What does this helpless beggar's name mean? Well, Lazarus means God helps. That's his only hope. No one else is going to help him. His hope is in God. God will help. Well, it came to pass that they both died, and we read in verse 22, the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. Death is the great equalizer. Death comes to everyone. It doesn't matter how much money you've got. And Lazarus clearly had put his hope in God, just as his name suggests. And so he finds himself at Abraham's side. Abraham, of course, is the father of the, the Jewish nation, and therefore is a symbol for being in, the, in paradise with all of God's faithful people. The rich man, however, is in torment in Hades, in the realm of the dead. That's a metaphor for God's judgment on those who refuse to believe. And we discover that there's a radical role reversal. Remember, it was Lazarus who was shut out of the gate, outside, in pain, looking in at the rich man who was enjoying his feast. But now it's the rich man who is outside, in pain looking in and seeing Lazarus enjoying the comfort of paradise. A radical role reversal. And so we read in verse 24, the rich man says, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. That's a really interesting verse. Firstly, take note that the rich man doesn't ask to get out of the place of torment. He just asks for Lazarus to come in. 
He doesn't want to go to paradise. He doesn't want to be with God and God's faithful people. He just wants someone to come and relieve his suffering. Just to bring some water to cool him down, cool his tongue down, relieve his thirst. He doesn't love God. He's not devoted to God. He's only devoted to his own self-pleasure. Secondly, take note that he, he still merely thinks of Lazarus as a mere messenger boy. Someone to be bossed around and ordered around. Send Lazarus. Tell him to do this. His attitude hasn't changed. He doesn't care about other people. He only cares about himself. And now there's a radical role reversal. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. Firstly, take note that Abraham calls him son. That's a term of endearment and affection. That communicates real concern. God's heart is broken by the choices that this rich man has made. God's heart is broken by the eternal fate that this rich guy has chosen. And Abraham says that, that you've, had, you've had everything in life. You've had everything in life and Lazarus has had nothing. The implication is you've had so many opportunities to help poor people within your reach such as Lazarus. But you chose to spend all your money and your wealth on yourself and your own pleasure. And now there's been a role reversal. And in verse 26, Abraham says, Besides all this, between us is a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. You see, unlike, unlike this rich guy, this rich guy could have so easily have just opened his gate, allowed Lazarus to come in and eat the scraps that fell off his table. He could have so easily have done that. But Lazarus is unable to bring any water to him. Because there's this great chasm, this big, deep, massive gulf that prevents anyone from crossing over. Of course, that's a metaphor, but it's a metaphor that what we discover is that when you die, your destiny is sealed. It's too late. You will be judged according to what you've done in this life, and that judgment is irreversible. In verses 27 through to 31, the rich guy then asks if Lazarus could be sent to his brothers to warn his brothers so that his brothers wouldn't end up in this place. But Abraham says no. They've got Moses and the prophets. That, that's a, a phrase that symbolizes the, the, the Old Testament. They've got the Old Testament. They've got the Bible to warn them. Now, that might seem a little harsh to us. But the reality is, if you've got the Bible 
that clearly tells you to love all people and to help the poor. And if you see poor people suffering and starving every single day and you remain indifferent, then nothing's going to change you. Not even seeing someone rising from the dead. Quite ironic, of course, Jesus is busy traveling to Jerusalem to die. And he knows that when he rises from the dead, there will be many Jewish religious leaders who will still refuse to believe in him, will still refuse to change. So what is the point of this parable? What is the point? Well, these religious leaders, these Pharisees, were just like this rich guy. They wanted the poor and the outcast to be out of sight and out of mind so that they could enjoy their wealth. And of course, Jesus keeps welcoming and hanging out with all the wrong people, with the poor and the outcast, like Lazarus. The very people they were trying to ignore. And so Jesus is warning them, change your ways before it's too late. You see, if you spend your whole life, living your whole life for your wealth, enjoying your wealth, enjoying your money, self-indulgence, self-pleasure, when you die, all of that will be taken away And you'll be left with nothing. But if you use your wealth and your money to welcome the poor and the outcasts, to invest in God's kingdom, to help the poor, then Jesus will welcome you into paradise. But what exactly did this rich guy do wrong? What was the big wrong that he did? I mean, he he wasn't deliberately cruel towards Lazarus. He wasn't. What he did wrong was that he never noticed. He never noticed. Lazarus was just part of the landscape. He believed it was, it was quite natural, quite normal and inevitable for there to be people like Lazarus who were starving and in pain and in hunger. The problem wasn't that he, what he did. The problem was that he did nothing. The problem was that he could look at the world's suffering and not feel a a, a sword pierce his heart with grief and compassion. He, He could look at fellow human beings starving and in pain and suffering and he was moved to do nothing. What he did wrong was that he never noticed and he did nothing. Who is Lazarus? 
Who is Lazarus? We all know him. You'll see him sitting on newspapers in a shop doorway with a rough blanket around him. People walking past. Some people having to step over him. Sometimes he rattles some money in a can, hoping someone will give him some more. And we say, it's his fault. It's his choices. There are agencies to help him. If we give him money, he'll just buy drink. If we help him, how do we know we're not helping a terrorist? And they're all over the world. Sometimes they're living in tin shacks, makeshift houses, often through no fault of their own. Often they're born into poverty because some rich and powerful person signed away their rights, signed away their life for an arms deal, a new presidential palace, a big fat Swiss bank account. Sometimes they're just merely considered collateral damage in the war on terror. And the distance between the rich and the poor Sometimes we don't literally live side by side, but the TV brings us together. We all know Lazarus. He's our neighbor. So let's not walk past without noticing. And let's not do nothing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are massively humbled by this parable. Because, Father, as we read it, we suddenly realize we are the rich guy. Maybe not that extreme, but, Father, so often we, we just like to keep the poor, the outcasts, out of sight and out of mind so we can enjoy our luxuries a little bit better without feeling guilty. Father, please forgive us. Please forgive us for our apathy. Forgive us for not noticing. Forgive us for doing nothing. Father, we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would fill us with your compassion and your love, your sacrificial love, that we would notice, that our hearts would be broken every time we see Lazarus. And Father, we might not be able to change the world, but Father, help us to make a small change, even if we make a change just for one person, but help us to make a difference. Father, we so often declare, yes, we're devoted to you, yes, we love you, yes, we follow you, but Father, when we look at this, we suddenly realize that in our hearts we're devoted to money, to pleasure, to people's praises, to self-indulgence. Father, please forgive. Father, please, by your Holy Spirit, make us more and more like Jesus. We ask this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about Abergavenny Baptist Church, please visit our website at abergavennybaptist.co.uk.